Welcome back to What Stories Say with Seth and Seth. I am Seth. And I'm Seth Jr. And I'm Jessica. <laughs> and we're really happy to have you with us today. Today is, I'm, I'm excited because this is the part of this um, process that's my favorite, which is ranking mm. the princesses and their princes. And, and Is it your favorite because it has kind of a competitive sports vibe to it when you probably because <laughs> i like, like what, probably but also it has a maybe large madnessy sort of feel <laughs> yeah so so today we're just going to kind of recap the five princesses from the renaissance that we've gone over over the past five weeks and then we're going to rank them in order of both we're going to rank them in order of the the uh storytelling of the story, how well we feel that the story was told, and also in the um, that the rank them in, in their chances of success, of a successful relationship with their um, So how happy we person. think their relationship will be in the long term. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So the five, Seth, Seth, why don't you fill us in? Who are the five princesses that we've that we've gone over the, over the, through the Renaissance? All right, yeah. So the the princesses that we have to talk about are Ariel from The Little Mermaid, uh, and uh, Eric is her prince. Uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, um, and the other part of the title there, obviously, the Beast. Uh, Do you Jasmine. Know he has a name. He has a canonical name. I know. His name I... is Prince Adam. Yes. Okay, He's go one ahead. of those princes that they never actually say it in the movie, though, so it's kind of hard to remember. Yeah, it doesn't like, really matter. The Sorry, prince go ahead. from Snow White has a name. Which starts with an F, I it's think. It's like Florence? That's not right. Okay. It's yeah. Fontaine, Fontaine or something like that. Florizel? <laughs> I remember it sounding a little feminine. I don't know what it is. Anyway, so. point being, uh, <laughs> back, back to... Uh, our list Renaissance of... princesses. We have Jasmine from Aladdin. Um, With obviously Aladdin. Yes. Uh, and then Pocahontas and John Smith from the movie Pocahontas. And we did mention when we did our John Smith and Pocahontas episode that they were really outside of the rankings for continuing the relationship since they don't end up together. Because they're not going yeah, to continue they, the Their story does not end with them having a relationship and it doesn't doesn't end with any potential for that. So uh, they, they, there is that going on. And then Mulan from Mulan and uh, Li Shang. So that's, that's all the characters um, that we're going to be going over. Ferdinand, also known as Florian. Florian. Oh, Florian is what I remember. Is it really Ferdinand? I bet they redid that because his like name the bull? was. Yeah, I bet they had his name. I don't know whether this is. I mean, this is just it probably a random internet site. I don't know. Because he likes yeah. to smell the flowers. <laughs> so, a, so here's so here's the thing. I think Florian is the name that Disney gave him back when the movie came out. Yeah, that's what I remember hearing. So. Anyway. Okay, so 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 what we want, what we're going to do today is we're going to rank these stories, and we're going to rank these uh, relationships. Yes, and we're going to start with the stories, and then we'll rank the relationships. So let's talk about the storytelling. And we've already talked about each one of them. Mm-hmm. So now let's just let's just kind of talk about make some comparisons and try to put them in order in the best storytelling 
to the worst storytelling. Oh boy. Or we could go worst to best, whichever way you guys want to go. I I don't feel prepared for this because um, I was thinking about um, like getting ready to rank them in terms of relationship and I forgot to like I say we do relationship prepare myself for Okay, we can we can do rela- we can do relationships first. Then, <laughs> then, first then that's fine. So it's I'm, just I'm gonna say are, a lot of these are really fantastic movies and it's gonna be hard to pick. Which one I think is the very best, you know? Yeah, let's rank relationships first. And we okay, but let me just, again. I'm just going to say something here. As we start ranking these relationships, you may hear us contradict something we said earlier, maybe in the, in the episode about the princess. Mm-hmm. And that's because we're people. And we're going to, in, in di- different times, have different feelings and different thoughts. So we've, if we've had we do, time to ruminate about this. So but, this but, yeah, if, if we if we look. make a contradiction, and, then that's okay. And, and you, can, you can you can you uh, can you know you can judge us for it if you want, and that's okay too. But just know that we do I make mean, contradictions. This is the judgy time. episode. Exactly. So. <laughs> okay, so let's let's so so the first thing we're going to do in judging the relationships is like Jessica said, we're going to take Pocahontas and we're going to say she's an outlier Mm -hmm. because she does not have a future relationship with her, with her romantic hero. So if you have to put Pocahontas and John Smith on the list, they're at the bottom because they have literally 0% chance of having a happy relationship since they have literally 0% chance of having Right, because they've already made the decision to separate and break that And because this judgment is not about the strength of the romance within the story. Mm-hmm. It's a projection beyond exactly. the end of the movie. Correct. Um, and so and so Pocahontas and, and John Smith have to be at the bottom because they don't have the potential for a future it's relationship. It's too bad because I think they have the most mature relationship. Yeah, I would say so. Well, they do, but but at the same time, John Smith does invite Pocahontas to go with him and she rejects the offer. So right. there's I mean, so she made a she made a a conscious decision not to continue that relationship. Which I think was a wise decision because the chances that they were going to have a happy relationship in England were not that great. Yeah, I mean, she was not going to be in a position to... Anyway. Sometimes the most mature decision in a relationship is the decision to cut it off. Sometimes it is. And and the other other thing is that um, I think I think that John Smith is actually not a great partner for, uh, really for any girl, to be honest. He's, he's kind of a wild adventurer. He likes adventuring. He likes being gone. He's not going to be around. Uh, you're saying he's going to have a hard time settling down. Yes. He's not, he, at this point in the movie, he's not in a place where he's ready to be a settled, committed person. So mm-hmm. I think she made a good choice. Um, she also chose her own family and culture, mm-hmm. uh, which was perfectly a perfectly fine choice to make. Yeah. So, so really, in the end, there's no there's no chance of a future relationship. They, I believe, she made the right decision. He invited her to go with him. I don't think it would have worked out. I agree with you, Jessica, that she made the right decision. I don't think they had a really good chance of a half. 
Maybe and, if he had was staying there. But that goes into his being an unsettled adventurer part two. Right. That, yeah, I I think so. Even though we're not ranking them, I think their chances, had they chosen to continue their relationship, were not super great of having a good relationship. Because in the line from Fiddler on the Roof, a bird may love a fish, but where will they live? Right. You know, you kind of have a feeling of them. Where is there a place for them to have a happy, committed, settled yeah. relationship? Just as individual people, it might not have been terrible, but their situation was not lending itself well to them having a relationship at that point. So while they're not at the bottom, that we're, we're just... Now that we've got mm-hmm. them, a little disgust, we can set them aside, and then we've got four to rank. Okay. Right. So, so is this ranking like a tier ranking, or is it like a just a top-to-bottom ranking? Oh, we're, we're just it's doing just, a top-to-bottom. Yeah, just top-to-bottom, okay. numerical. Uh, the question... We may do a tier ranking at the very We could end. do a tier ranking of the stories, and then Seth can rank all of his favorites top tier. <laughs> we'll see. Out of, the, out of the five that we have, we have uh, three S tiers. <laughs> um, okay, so, no, so, uh, so, so, so let's go ahead and talk about these other princesses. And, the, yeah. and their chances for a happy, successful relationship. So here's the, the question that I have, is between Belle and Jasmine, who's <laughs> going to have the harder time? Because both of them, their because relationships are going to be kind of rough. We know they're the two bottom of these four, right? Yeah, and, and I think we're probably going to put Ariel and Eric at the top, because with Mulan and Shang, we thought... They had potential for to have a good relationship, but we don't have enough relationship developed at the end of the movie to know. So those two are the that's ones an, we need to talk about. That's at an the interesting. Top. That's interesting. I don't. I don't. I mean, yes, yes, but if okay. They so we get to together. That. So when we have, so we have four, and I guess what we're saying is we have two that we have a basically positive feeling about, and, and we have two that we have a basically negative feeling mm-hmm. about. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So the two, let's go with the two bottom ones first, and then we'll go, and then we'll go oh. talk about those. So two that it can ones. only get better from there. Yeah, yeah, isn't that wonderful? And then you have to wait to find out which one we put okay. at the top. It's, it's great. Uh, so Belle and the Beast. <laughs> we were really hard on. I wasn't as hard as I felt like I should have been, to be honest. Yeah, so I was, I was going to say, you felt like you were being nice and restraining yourself. I was trying to be really restrained with this particular story. And then partly because, because I didn't like the way that the Disney company retold the story of Beauty and the Beast. So, so I, I feel like I have a, a negative... Bias? Bias towards the story itself. Yeah. yeah but okay. I mean, Sorry, from, a, go ahead. In a, from a realistic perspective, the Beast is, uh, like, specifically him as a character, uh, Prince Adam. Uh, is that his name? Yep, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, that's also He-Man. Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that just gave me a weird whiplash. And that's what He-Man does. He, he, he goes from Prince Adam... To the beast, the beast form, and then he goes from the beast <laughs> back to Prince Adam, and this guy is the same. It's just, this He Man, so the the Disney Prince Adam, <laughs> the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, is not in a great position as a character to be in a relationship with anyone. Like he 
out of all of the characters in any of these relationships requires the most growth individually. And there's only so much that you can do within a short film that takes place in world within probably only uh, like less than a week to actually uh, ha make all of those changes that he needs to to not be kind of horribly abusive. So the other um, thing, Seth, yeah. that both Seths, that, <laughs> that you don't really like about um, this particular treatment of the story is that it's an enemies to lovers story. And I think you dislike the enemies to lovers trope. It's super popular mm -hmm. in romantic stories and people feel really romantic about it. Mm -hmm. I think because it creates tension and tension is actually an important part of romance. But would you say, in your professional opinion, mm -hmm. that you experience a lot of people in couples in real life who first were enemies and then became lovers and have a successful relationship? No, I, don't, I, I can't. I can't think of. I can't think of a single one. In fact, the the few couples who actually did start out as enemies and then got married that I've that I've worked with or that I've known. Um, they became enemies again. Yes, it's never. I've never seen it work. I've never seen that work, from a professional perspective and from a personal perspective. I've never seen that work. I've never seen it where people really disliked each other, and then somehow came together. Which actually, to be honest, to, to be honest, it's not common. I think for that to actually happen, anyways, it's it's mm -hmm. a lot more common in stories. I mean, yeah, what's kind of what, like fake dating? There's not a lot of that in real life. Can, fake engagements. Yeah. What what it is? It can be a fun like romance story trope, and a lot of stories like to create situations that seem uh, really impossibly insurmountable for the the characters to overcome. So it makes sense that romance stories would present romance. Uh, present romances that are a lot harder to work out in real life than your average couple. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that realistically that's going to end up being super healthy. I will say that this story does a much better job of making uh, of, of, of making a, a case for these two coming together. Okay. Because she already feels alone and separated from everything mm -hmm. so when she goes to the beast and he's mean it's 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 not it's not different than what she's used to i mean it's, it's he's he's abusive when she's not used to that except for gaston is also abusive so to be honest mm -hmm. gaston was also a pretty abusive character so yeah. she's he's not the Beast and Gaston are not that different from each other. Well, I think there is supposed to be, like, an intentional parallel between the two characters, uh, but the... But then a huge divergence at the end. Yes, exactly. Right, so so here's so here's the thing about the, about, about the Beast. Everything, honestly, and, and, and this is just... Everything that I've ever seen in abusive relationships where a man is physically emotionally, um, psychologically, financially abusive towards his wife. It's like every the, the beast checks 
every single one of those boxes. Mm-hmm. That's what's really bizarre to me about this story is that people, and people tell me, this is what I hear, the argument is in the end, he lets her go. That's, how we, that's how we know that he's a good guy because he lets her go. Well, you know how many abusive men have let their wives go because their wives left and there's not, what can you do? You have to let them go. So, so I don't, I don't buy that argument, but I, I, I think I look at every single thing that he does and it checks every single box that makes it really hard for me to, but in abusive relationships, isn't it most common for the relationship to begin with some kind of, um, love bombing or kind of overly affectionate sort of like they put on a pretty face at first and lure the partner in not always at first but always there is a there is a some kind of a love bombing or or large gift that's given like that is the a world's trap. best library yes uh oh what i'm saying is everything checks Everything See, I was trying to justify him by saying, oh, well, he starts out grumpy, but that's not... No, a lot, of, a lot of abusive guys start out grumpy. In fact, a lot of women who get into abusive relationships get into those relationships because the guy is grumpy and angry and mean all the time, and she thinks, I can change him, and gets into a relationship... And this then when is, he tries to pull, when and then when she tries to pull away, he'll give her some big gift or something to keep her there. This is the real reason you dislike this story so much. Mm-hmm. It's because you deal with so many people who are trying to change their partner, and people see this story as a romantic story because they think of it as a romance that changes somebody, and you have. A really, you have really strong feelings about this aspect in almost any romantic story where it feels like either romantic partner is changing because of the romantic relationship. And it's interesting because that's, I mean, that's like a core of a large amount of romantic fiction. And it's based on some actual truths, which is that a good romantic relationship changes us for the better. You should feel like because of my partner, I'm a better person than I would be without them. And the feeling of falling in love is an overwhelming feeling of, wow, I have this magical, this magical feeling of being the best person I've ever been before. And you, it feels. I I think, I think that's true. I think that's true. And I think that people but I guess I guess and you're right I, I do really get frustrated with stories where there's this really really bad person and a really good person and the good person gets in a relationship with the bad person because they're going to change them yes okay. and oh yes go ahead oh no yeah oh I was just saying that both <clears throat> things I think are true both that 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 is a really dangerous mental attitude to have and that there's a good reason for it to be in romantic stories mm-hmm. because there is a core actual truth in it. It's true. Right. And Go ahead, Seth. It's, it, it, it's all right. Say what you're going to say. I'm, I'm trying to move us on. So good. if no, you have anything yep. more to say about this. No, no, move, move us on. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, um, 
we we can we're seeing here that um, Belle and the Beast, uh, their uh, relationship has some uh, indicators that it could be potentially dangerous, um, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, comparatively, our other little bit rough relationship that we that we've got here is uh, Jasmine and Aladdin, which. Their relationship is built entirely on lies, um, which also isn't a great way to start a relationship because uh, it, it really requires trust, and it's kind of difficult to develop trust when uh, your romantic partner is intentionally deceiving you into believing that they're someone they're not. This is also a common trope in romantic fiction, mm. to have characters who are lying to each other, mm-hmm. pretending to be somebody that they're not. In real life, we see this a lot, I think, on uh, dating profiles or sort oh, of apps. There's a goodness, large yes. tendency for people to present themselves in an untruthful way when they're meeting. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, I don't know why... I had an idea about why the other one was such an important part Mm. of romantic fiction. I don't know why the puffing yourself up, lying trope, and getting into all kinds of trouble is such a staple in romantic fiction. I mean, it does help to create some kind of tension or conflict, and a lot of... Like, most stories need conflict to function because you're trying to overcome that. Uh, it, it, but the em- enemies to lovers creates this interpersonal tension that has that kind of sexual romantic tension feeling mm-hmm. it, and the lying has the kind of tension that's like, oh, I'm afraid of getting found out tension, which doesn't feel like romantic tension. To no, me. but it, but it, what it does do, and I, I just I was just thinking about while you were saying this, what it does do is it allows people to. Uh, self-insert into that because most of us uh, there's parts of us at least that we don't like that we want to hide from people that we don't want Mm. people to know about there's parts of us and as those things become get get revealed and people are accepting in the story right The, the, Mm. the the romantic person is accepting of you even though you're you're revealing that, hey, I'm actually a street rat and I'm not actually a prince. And and Jasmine's like, well, that's okay. I like street rats better than princes anyways. <laughs> uh, so so there's this there's this aspect of that self-insertion that allows me, that allows us to, as human beings, to feel justified in, our, in who we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Basically, okay. no one is comfortable being, really being completely transparent with basically anyone. I think we talked about Aladdin and Jasmine being the least mature couple Mm, um, going in. Um, They're both quite young and they feel very young Mm -hmm. and their romantic development, like you said, has been based on a lot of lies. So they haven't spent a lot of time getting to know each other. Honestly, I don't remember what song is the stranger by Billy Joel. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember what we, what we said, we here's, thought there. Here's what I here's what I think between these two, I would put Belle and the Beast on the bottom simply because I think there's more danger of mm-hmm. actual harm, right, in that relationship. I think his the amount of power and control that he has in relation to her, there's such an inequality there. Right. Um, 
and and he doesn't have any parents to put him in check. The only people he has are people who are completely under his control, mm-hmm. and, and so and so he has really nothing to check him. Um, so I, I put them on the bottom. I think Aladdin and Jasmine are going to have a really rocky time trying to just figure life out. And they mm-hmm. actually, there's a potential that the two oh, of yeah. them together might be able, they, they might actually be happier because they're both coming from a place where they have nothing in terms of understanding and education. They're at least, right. they have an, an equality there. That doesn't exist with Belle and it's and the funny Beast. because Jasmine is a princess and Aladdin is a um, a pauper, mm-hmm. and yet they do have more of a feeling of being on an equal playing field in their maturity and in their intellectual their maturity, development. Their knowledge if and for no other reason that, than that both of them have very little of either of those things, <laughs> right? And that actually that actually will help them with the lying too. Because neither one of them knows anything, really, about the world, <laughs> and so the lying, uh, as they as they as they get to know each other better, the lying will they'll they'll come to understand it together, and so I, I still think it's going to be rocky. I think it's going to be rough. That's going to be a really rough relationship, but being a little bit more on equal ground versus the the large power ba- uh, imbalance uh, right. between Belle and the Beast gives them a little bit of Well, and, and the other thing is, there's no indication that Aladdin is physically aggressive, um, nor that uh, that um, Jasmine, Jasmine is. So there's not there's not that same... I mean, the, the Beast is physically aggressive. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves here. He's a physically ad- aggressive person. Yes. And, and he shouts and roars in addition to being, mm-hmm. you know, the potential for causing physical Slamming harm. doors, things like that. Things. Breaking things. He's Aladdin. We don't get that with either Aladdin or Jasmine. And so, again, I, I just, the reason, I think they're all, they're all both of these couples are going to, it's going to be rocky. But I just think that Aladdin and Jasmine have an equality and also a temperament that is bo- both going to be a a benefit to them that Belle and the Beast simply don't have. Okay. Let's talk about our top two couples. Yes. We have uh, Mulan and Li Shang and Ariel and Eric. Well, Ariel and Eric, they um, are going, neither of them, I just lost my train of thought. Somebody else. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody, let's start this over. Somebody else go. Okay, well, um, Ariel and Eric. Um, I think there is a good chance that I have a higher opinion of their uh, relationship than Dad does. Uh, I know that I... Uh, it's easy for a lot of people, or like, like it's common for a lot of people to perceive... Um, Ariel as being really uh, immature uh, because she is uh, relatively young. She's 16 years old and she's uh, a little bit rebellious. And whenever anyone says, I'm not a child anymore, it's a sign that they are not a grown-up. Yes. Um, But despite that, 
Uh, I do feel like that there is a lot of um, a lot more maturity behind um, some of the decisions that she makes and behind the the relationship in the movie than meets the eye. Uh, I, th- I think that her, I mean, for one thing, her desires at the beginning in the beginning of the story are much more reasonable to me uh that she she isn't really it doesn't feel like just a teenage phase that she's going through or anything like that it feels like real meaningful longing to grow up essentially to be able to go and uh make uh, to, to experience the things she wants to experience and make of her life what she wants to make of it and the main impediment to that is her father and her relationship with him which seems like it could be a big problem but the whole point of the story really is actually about her relationship with her father in a way more so than it even is her relationship with eric and by the end of the movie he has come around to being willing to let her go and have the independence that she wants. And so I don't actually think that his, um, her relationship with him is going to hold her back very much in that sense. Hello everyone, this is the younger of the Seths. As you can probably obviously tell, this episode is only a part of a complete ranking episode that we have available right now on our website so if you want to hear our conclusion on the rankings of the disney renaissance princesses as well as get access to all of our other full podcast episodes and tons of other great video and other kinds of content for improving your life and making self-guided positive change you can sign up as a patron member on atwaterhealing.com. Hope to see you there.